The following episode of Swing Thoughts is brought to you by Men with Giant Brains. Well, at least a couple, anyway. Uh, welcome, everyone. I'm Howard, along with Tim O'Connor. He's the uh, mental performance coach for uh, the Glen Abbey Golf Academy. That would be you, sir. And Howard Glassman, a one handicap player. Former club champion at the national. This guy can get it around. Good Sounds player. impressive when you say it. Of course, um, it does. You know, it's funny because one of these days, we really should spend some time on uh, each other's, you know, sort of mental performance arc. Because, you know, as as good a swinger of the golf club that I got to be at some point in my life, I never broke through. And I think that'll be part of the theme of today's show. And welcome, everyone. And thanks, everyone, who's downloading the show. But I never got to uh, realize any kind of potential in terms of, you know, uh, whether uh, it was success in a club tournament or at the provincial or Canadian level until I understood that there was another element, possibly a bigger element than most people believe, which is the mental side of performing this bizarre, <laughs> bizarre task of swinging a golf club. And in, I think in our series of little shows so far, people get the idea that we really believe that that's really where the game is. Absolutely. What the interesting thing is, is that you discovered and what we want to do with part with this show and part of it is, is that you can get better at playing this game without even changing your golf swing. And that's something that you already had a great swing. You put in your time. But it was once you got a sense of what you need to, to do internally, you know, managing your emotions, better thinking, better playing. And that is, that's one of the core tenets of our show, is that if we can just help people understand that. And that's why today it's very exciting that we're going to have Carl Morris on today. A hundred percent. No, and what you just said is, is ab- absolutely true. And we've said this every show and we'll say it on this show. We believe... Our uh, raison d'etre is that we think you can lose five or six shots off an average handicap, which is, you know, 18, 15, whatever it is, without doing much different in terms of the movement that you're making. Come this spring, uh, we're going to help you uh, learn to get yourself around the golf course in less shots, and if that's satisfying to you. If not, <laughs> then just, you know, keep flailing away and maybe drink more beer after nine. Uh, let's get right to it. Uh, when I, we, we were talking before we started taping this morning, and I, I was like, I was trying to remember who, <laughs> this is how old we are. I was actually, I'd forgotten it was you that introduced me to Carl Morris. <laughs> That's right. I did because I've only I thought I said yeah I bought that book you go yeah after I gave you the book and you you didn't want me to keep it <laughs> That's right Well Carl had signed it uh, Well so <laughs> Timmy introduced me to Carl Morris I actually downloaded Carl's book uh, which is called Attention the Secret to Playing Great Golf His Carl, second book His second book um, First book First book I ever read. I thought it was great. I haven't I've actually. I got the. I downloaded it. And, and by the way, we'll tell you how you can get all sorts of Carl Morris products, including his latest offering, which is called the Ultimate Players Program. If you don't know who he is, you're going to get to know him now. Uh, he's been involved in the mental side of the game for over 25 years. He's worked with um, major golfers, elite amateurs, PGA Tour players, major winners, names you know: Darren Clark, Louis Eustace, and Graham McDowell. And uh, we'll get into uh, all sorts of stuff. Please say hello, and welcome to Swing Thoughts, Carl Morris. Carl. Hi. Great to, great to be along with you. I'm uh, just in the background there enjoying the show. I almost don't want to intrude on your conversation. <laughs> well, we were talking before we started about how old we all are, and it was funny. I legitimately could remember that was Tim who gave me your book, which is maybe part of what we can talk about as we age, where our attention goes. These are all little signs as, as we get older. <laughs> what uh, first drew you to being interested in this side of of the game as a way to, I don't know, improve people's experience? It, it was really down to my own failures as a player. I mean, when I, when I first uh, uh, left school, I wanted to be one of the top players in the world. I was a decent amateur player, but never really got close to, you mentioned it earlier, never really got close to fulfilling my my own potential and and the only thing that in back in the in those days I was told that I needed to do was to was to develop a, a golf swing that would stand up under pressure um, and after about 20 years searching for that golf swing that 
trying to stand up under pressure. I still hadn't found it, and uh, I realised that there was something else to the game other, other than that. And I just became more and more fascinated with the number of people, just like myself, who who could behave and, and play well in a certain context, the range, and then be nowhere near the same golfer out on the golf course. So that was the it was the it was my own failures as a player really that led to the initial studies of, of different aspects of the mental game and then I think that helped when I started working with, with, with decent players. I've never played at the highest level but they could appreciate that at least I did understand the game. It's interesting. I wonder if, if, Carl, maybe you went through the same thing that a lot of people do, and that is they have resistance to the idea that they have to work on their mental game, as if that's almost a deficiency. Do you think there's a, people have a lot of resistance to Completely. that idea? Yeah, I mean, that, that was the biggest hurdle in the early years, and the word psychology is not the greatest, really, because, you know, people initially, people straight away, you mention that word, they think, oh, they're going to try and find out what's wrong with me and, you know, dig back into, you know, what what we, what we it was like with, with the relationship you had with your mother or, exactly. you know, what, we, what it was like in school days. And I, I, I had to always say to people, that's, that's not what I'm about. It's about performance, and, and, and it's actually looking at, at what is already pretty good and can we make it better, you know. So it, 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 it's, a, it's about finding patterns of thought that are getting in the way and, and, and just in the way that you you can have some you know strange motion with your golf swing it's the same it's the same with the mind but the, the more and more over the years I've looked at it it's, it's 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 an incorrect dichotomy really to think of technical and mental because e- e- even if a guy is is a hundred percent convinced it's all about the swing he's still thinking about the swing he's still got his mental attention on swing thoughts and you know the more I've come to look at it it's even that you need to understand if you are working on your swing which, which particular aspect are you working on what what is your attention on and does that give you any return on your investment and that's the that's the area I've become more and more fascinated with over the years yeah like and part of it to me is the realization that the mental part of the game uh, is really it's, it's another area of skills to be developed just yep. like you're learning how to hit a flop shot you need uh, you can really help your game by learning how to manage your emotions um, how to be you know with your body where you place your attention those are just skills to be developed absolutely in, in, in the way that somebody would develop the skills in, in, in meditation or the skills in piano playing you know if somebody said to me now what is your work about it's no coincidence that's the title of the book that I wrote is attention for me that is everything and, and, and I have the, the simplest of rules that whenever you're doing anything and we're talking about golf here whatever activity it is that you're pursuing and whatever that's a, got a goal your, your attention is going to be in one of two places relative to that goal so your attention is either going to be on something useful for that goal are useless and unfortunately people have their attention in, in most of the time in useless places relative to the goal of playing good golf and you know the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result uh, Tim uh, what were you going to say well the attention is huge is uh, to me because so many times people have tried to to play the game and they say you know I've got all these thoughts that are coming to me all the time and and I need to just get in that blissed out place like a PGA Tour player they don't have any of those bad thoughts going on and I think that that's one of the things that's in your new program that really shows a, a progression in what in what you've been teaching and getting from people is that where you place your attention is the key piece. You're always going to have those voices. They're always going to have those parts of you that says you, you, you're not good enough or anything, but you can get around that by placing your attention in a more useful place. Uh, absolutely, Tim. And you, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest misconceptions in golf, in sport, is that great players don't have these thoughts, don't have these thoughts of doubt, don't have these barrage of negativity that they, they, they all do you know that the, the mind seems to be this mechanism that throws the most unlikely and most useless thoughts at us in the most inopportune moments I remember you know I mentioned in the program that one of the players I've worked with you know 12 years now Graham McDowell who's, who's I would I would describe
described as being mentally one of the best players to have played the game in the past 10 or 15 years, somebody who gets the best out of himself under pressure. But I remember Graham describing when he was about to win the Scottish Open in, in 2008, he was he had a four-shot lead, I think, and he was walking to the 15th tee, and he, he told me a great story about as he was walking to the to the tee, all he could think about was the fact that, that he was going to top the ball. <laughs> And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking a deep breath, thinking, "My God, you shouldn't be thinking stuff like that." Or, you know, I, I would never imagine that would be the case. But he said, "He said he just could." Now, this is one of the world's best players playing some of the best golf of his life, and all of a sudden, walking from 14th green to 15th tee, he's got these thoughts popping into his head that he's going to top it off the end of the tee. But then he said to me, "He said, he said, now I realise why, why we've done all this work over the years." He said, "Because when I got up on the tee, he said I did have a process to go through." He said, "Despite the fact that I was." all over the place in terms of these thoughts I had something to hold on to and that's the key for me is the understanding that yes your brain will throw these most irrational thoughts towards you but if you've got a, a process to go through and you, and you understand how attention works in, in those white heat moments whether it's winning a major title or, or you know reducing your handicap or winning the, the club championship you, you need to know where to put your attention to actually get the best out of yourself when your mind is throwing these storms at you and that, that, that was exactly the way that Graham had described it. Carl Morris, the uh, mindfactor.net is uh, Carl's site. And, and getting back to what you guys were talking about, it, it always occurred to me that, you know, there would be the guy at the club, everyone would know he was the toughest, or people used to say that about Nicholas, he was mentally strong, or, you know, Faldo was in a bubble. And, and really, one of the concepts that we've been trying to talk about on this show, and with someone like you that spent most of your adult life, or as I say, adult-ish life, like me, um, <laughs> working on, which is mental performance is a skill acquisition. Uh, what you just described about Graham McDowell. There is a process that he had, a skill acquisition. Something was acquired and practiced and, and, and put to the test. And, and as Tim always, uh, I love this, that Tim will say things like, there's evidence of past performance that you've, you've, you've worked your way through. And, and that's one of the things that I think people now in the modern era of golf are a little more comfortable with, the idea that, you know, I need to work on chipping, but I also need to know that I have a process, whether it's a pre-shot routine or it's a post-shot routine. One of the things that you talked about in the uh, the book that I read, the uh, the secret to playing great golf, is that you need to know from the point that the golf ball is gone that there's something that happens after that you can, you know, work your way through. Yeah, yeah I think you know everybody's heard of pre-shot routines now have been around golf in the past sort of 10 years or so but I think for an awful lot of players the biggest potential area of improvement is that is that post-shot uh, routine what is it that you do how, how do you react to the to the, the shot that has just occurred and you know the big understanding for me is that, that your golf swing to some degree will always let you down you no, nobody has eliminated badge even Mo Norman and I know Mo Norman got very close but nobody's eliminated poor shots so it's actually, and I talk with players, it's, it's not so much the bad shot that is ever the problem, it's your reaction to that bad shot. And if that, rea if that reaction to that particular bad shot then contaminates the start of the next shot, then you're in trouble. And if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're also waiting for a, a good shot to make you feel good, or a birdie to make you feel good, or a par to make you feel good, the, 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 unfortunately, the, the game of golf is, is, is the hardest game in many ways because every single thing that you do is accountable on the golf course. So, you know, you, you, you cannot... In other sports, I talk a lot with over in the UK, you know, football players or you call it soccer players, rugby players, that in certain games when you get very angry, to a degree you can channel that anger, you can run faster, you can tackle harder. But with golf, you can't. You can't, you, you can't allow that. And, you know, a great phrase in a book I read many years ago was that ang anger makes us stupid. And it, and it really does, you know, that when we, when we don't deal with those emotions and release them that you know we can make some really poor decisions as a result of that anger and all of a sudden we think we can carry it 250 over that water into wind and things like that and and very often most golfers will look back over a round of golf and it, it's it's a series of really bad decisions that have cost them more shots rather than you know a swing path that's way out of kilter or anything like that 
But isn't it interesting, you know, a lot of golfers will come off a, a particularly poor round and think, man, if I could just learn to hit my driver better, if I could putt better, if I could yeah. do this better, when in actual fact, it goes back to something that happened on the third hole where they just got really mad and then made a bad decision and then just couldn't yeah. get out of that frame of mind. Two swings yeah. from disaster. Two swings from losing your mind. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it, the, the thing is, as well, on TV... What tends to happen, you know, in, in many ways, TV perpetuates the the myth that that every every bad shot that you ever hit is because your golf swing has changed. Now the thing is, on TV, all you ever see is if if a you know tiger or whoever is knocked the ball way left or way right, that the, the the expert analyzes that golf swing, and he already knows before he starts the analysis that the ball has gone way left or right and then he will come up with a story as to what has happened in the golf swing to cause that but but for me the story isn't complete because that story didn't include the fact as you've just said there that he three-putted the last green and he got really mad or whatever whatever has happened previously you know you, you, the, the golf swing is always affected by your state of mind and we how we, and, yeah and how it affects your body right absolutely yeah yeah and, and Carl, that was one of the things that your work, uh, I've been a fan of your work for a long time. I've learned a lot uh, from you. And one of the things that always resonated to me was how you can use your body. And that's where people get confused. I think about mental performance. I think it's all about the way they think. But in fact, um, it's really what you do with your body and how it can be like a, a sanctuary and how you can use it to help you. You can place your attention in a part of your body or a part of the club. Could you talk a little bit about how golfers can use their body to help them deal with those thoughts or or when they feel angry and just how to use their body to uh, to relax and play better? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's some fascinating research that is, is available now about the sort of interaction from from mind to body and body to mind. And, you know, we've always known that, that thoughts can affect the way that we move, the posture that we take up, but you know, one of the researchers, Amy Cuddy, some great stuff that came out of her work. That you know, that you you can literally affect the way you think and feel by altering the posture of your body. She did she did some great research uh, and actually identified that when your when your posture it drops, when you when you go into yourself, you actually increase the sort of you actually increase the cortisol running through your system, which is your stress hormone. Your testosterone decreases. So all of those things are going to make you feel even worse. Conversely, when you take charge of your posture, when, you, when you're aware of the way that you're walking and the way that you're moving and your eye line and things like that, that those chemical reactions are, are very, very different. The other thing that I find is a really, really simple way of looking at this is that virtually every psychology book that you'll ever read will tell you at some point that you need to be in the present moment which is a great concept but it's a little bit like telling somebody that you need to go and play the piano it's all well and good if you know what you're doing but actually unless you know what you're doing you just make a horrible noise and the thing is a lot of, a lot of a lot of people are thinking about being in the present moment rather than being in the present moment and actually by definition oh. If, if you focus on your physical body, your, your physical body exists in the now. Yeah. So, you know, your mind, the human mind is built to do time travel. That's what makes us, well, supposedly the intelligent creatures on Earth, because we can go into the future or back into the past. The mind does that constantly. But whenever you are focused on your physical body, you are by definition in the now. So even simple things like, you know, everybody thinks they understand the importance of breathing and things like that. But actually, you know, when you're walking in between shots to actually just find your attention on your breathing or even the feeling of your feet under the, on the floor as you're walking along, you are bringing yourself back more into the present moment. And as you bring yourself more into the present moment, you're much more easily, much more able to deal with the ups and downs of the round of golf. So I look at golf and think what a great laboratory it is to actually get better, get better at some of these skills that can have massive crossover into other parts of our lives. You know, the, the science on meditation now is very, very strong. The, 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 the Ellen Langer's work on mindfulness and things like that, there's a lot of science behind some of these simple concepts, but golf can be a great way of actually getting better at those things. You know, Carl, I've just been, uh, you know, Tim knows this, but I've been reading a book this month uh, by a ABC television news anchor who sort of 
through a series of uh, investigations and whatever, you know, started investigating the idea of meditation. And meditation has become this, you know, Silicon Valley, corporate America, big business where they're taking moments of mindfulness. And, and they, you know, they're quoting all these studies about how it's increased performance and happiness and, and, and sick days. Um, and yet here we are in this game of golf we all love. And there is some resistance, and, and I'm sure you've found this over the, uh, a time, Carl, and I'm sure Tim finds it in his practice, where some guys are a little hesitant to, to talk about it. Uh, as you say, people think it's some kind of, you know, we're going to talk about your childhood, but a simple thing like breathing with your eyes up at the horizon, taking a breath in for 10 and out for 10, um, it would seem that's a pretty easy thing to uh, pass along to someone. But as you say in one of your, uh, in one of your chapters, you just have to do it. To try it to see if it does have any effect on the fact that your next shot after a horrible one might be a little bit better than it was the day before. Yeah, but the and guys then, in the bar aren't going to talk about that because that'd be too way out there. Maybe way left field. And yeah. you know what, Timmy's right. But I, you know, I've I have found uh, since some of my friends who are you know also pretty good players, tournament players, low handicap guys, um, when I told them we were doing this and I've talked about Carl, it seems that. All they need is a little door open to have a conversation. I think, you know what I'm saying? Like, guys are, yeah. it, on the surface, they might be reluctant. But, you know, I think everyone in golf is looking for a way out, a way way into a, a better experience. But if you, if you think of it, what you just mentioned, the whole concept of mindfulness and, and corporate America embracing that and meditation, things like that. I've I, I read the book that you mentioned about the, the news anchor. I think it's, 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 Dan, Dan better off. it's called 10% Happier by 10% a guy named Dan Happier. Harris. Yeah, great, a great book. It's a great, it's a great read. But if, if you look at what, what, is, what, is, what is the essence of, of all of those things, mindfulness and meditation, it, it is about deciding to put your attention in an area that you deem to be useful. That, that is it. It's, you know, it's no more complicated. It can, can be more complicated than that, but it is no more complicated than that. Now, I, I, I would say the science is backing up the fact that if you put your attention on your breathing for a period of time in the day, that is actually useful to you. 100%. By the way, you know, one of the things that Harris talks about in the book, and I just read it this morning, is that the idea, and it's a, a Buddhist idea, but it's a great idea, which is asking the question, and we could do this as golfers, is this thought or is this serving me? And it yeah. basically is what you're saying. Am I, am I focusing on something useful or something useless? But the idea is, is this moment, is this emotion, is it serving me somehow? Yeah, and, yeah, I just and, see Carl just loved that so much. He, had no, he, just, he just got something. He's like, yeah, Howard, come on over here to England and work with me. I was so much in the moment, I couldn't answer. <laughs> Um, yeah, 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 exactly. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and what, what it allows you to do is, is, is observe the patterns of thought that you have. In, you know, in, in if, you, if you look at it in terms of the golf swing, the, the, the advances that we've made in you know video analysis, and, and especially now with the things like TrackMan, that, that give you a, give you a real uh, ability to observe what is it that you do, what are, what are your habitual patterns through impact, what is it that you're tendencies are which is which is which is great but by the same definition you know by by becoming more aware of things these things it's almost like a track man for the mind really you start mm -hmm. to notice your patterns of thinking and then you have the choice do i carry on with this or do i you know spend some time working with tim and do something about it actually take time and i, and I would look at all of this and i think the great thing working at the mental game is is that the worst case scenario is, you, is your golf doesn't get any worse it's, it's a real win-win in that, in that sense, it ain't going to get any worse, but it could get an awful lot better. When you start to try to completely change your golf swing, that's a, that's a high tariff dive that can go one or two ways. Yeah. And, and for a lot of people, they, they, they embark on a massive swing changes. And unfortunately, you know, most people do not have the time or the wherewithal to actually make those changes happen. I would say an awful lot of golfers, I couldn't agree with you more, an awful lot of golfers could get four or five shots better with the existing swing that they've got. That's endorsed by Carl Morris. Tim? Absolutely. Well, I, part of it was I got Carl's DVD, how to... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'd be five shots lower without changing your Yeah, we swing. basically, Carl, without really knowing it, well, we kind of knew it, we're just ripping you off. You know, Carl, just deal with it. You know, if you have some lawyers that want to get involved, we don't really care. But we're saying uh, we're saying the same thing you are. Uh, I think, you know, just before Tim jumps in, I want to say, you know, having, uh, having taken lessons from everyone from, you know, Jim McLean to Rick Smith, and I've worked on my golf swing, and I we were talking about this before we rolled tape today. If you want to make a real change in your golf swing, you better be prepared. It's an onerous, onerous task. Yeah. You better be prepared for a couple of years, and most grown-up men and women don't have that time. But I think if you spend a little time with the Mind Factor or Timmy at uh, the Performance uh, Center there, you can make some real changes before this golf season begins. And just to mention on that, I think you know a really important concept is to understand the, the difference between form and skill in the sense that form is what your golf swing looks like. Skill is the ability to deliver the tool for the task in the right way. So, you know, we, we could argue that, that Jim Furyk, based on a perfect model, doesn't, doesn't have great form, but he has tremendous skill. And, and, and an awful lot of golfers make the real mistake of they get wrapped up in what the thing looks like and, and ultimately the only thing that the golf ball cares about is what happens at impact and, and by having your attention in the, in the right place with the swing that you've got currently you can make some changes through impact you can alter what things that are happening with the, with the, when the ball and club meet each other and for an awful lot of golfers you know, that would be the, the real quick way to improve. You know, I think it's you know, coincidence, you know, it sounds like it's new stuff, this, but, you know, John Jacobs, the great English coach, was talking about this 50 years ago. You know, and sometimes we lose, we lose the, the wisdom of all of that in the, in the search for the thing looking great. Yeah, Carl, one of the things that really came through to me in your new, uh, new program, the Ultimate Players Program, was this idea of, stop the search for the ideal consistent swing on the range and that it just really isn't possible and get yourself on the golf course and start to hit a lot of different shots and see what they happen, what they feel like that is the art of golf um, which I, I love that expression you used in your program but one of the things that came through to me too is that you have really been focusing for the last few years again on attention and focus and you used it a few minutes ago in describing the golf club as a tool and so so that instead of your focus being, say, internally on your hip or your shoulder or some kind of movement, that it's far more beneficial to focus on, say, the, the ball, the club, the feeling of the grip in your hand. I'd just like to learn a little bit more how you learned a, that aspect of the external focus and how you think it can really help golfers. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I talk about is... Uh, I'm just like you guys. I've just stolen everything from other people <laughs> right to the mail. We're also honest. Uh, uh, Gabrielle Wolf's work, you know, she studied this for many, many years, and, and, and she's, she's highlighted the difference between a, what she would call an internal focus or an external focus. So, so if I'm focused internally, I'm thinking about turning my shoulders or keeping my right knee flexed or whatever, and an external focus would be something obviously external to me, i.e. the golf club or the ball or the ball flight. And, and she's, she's right. She would go as far as to say that, you know, in the studies that she's done, she, see, she sees very, very little improvement um, in terms of uh, retention when you have an internal focus, but, but dramatic improvement with an external focus. And if you think about it, I, I do a little skit in the, in the seminars that I do. You know, I get people to, I'll say, has everybody brushed the teeth this morning? And they all sort of sit there wondering what's coming. And I say, okay, what I, what I want you to do is now make the motion that you made in front of the bathroom mirror this morning. And they all, you know, right hand or left hand, and they're all brush, pretending to brush away. There. And I say, well, that is a very, very complex motor skill. Now, did you learn to brush your teeth by rotating your elbow over a fixed axis? <laughs> <laughs> or, or did you learn to use the brush? And, and their eyes light up and they cry, yeah, obviously I learned to use the brush. And that, that is how we've learned to use most things. If you think that human beings have evolved to use tools, uh, and, and, you know, you think of the skill that, uh, you know, a, 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 a clockmaker would have or, or a surgeon or whatever. I, I would not want to be on a, I, I would not want to be on an operating <laughs> theatre table with a, with a surgeon who's thinking internally about where his elbows and his shoulders are. I would hope he's got his attention right on that scalpel. So we know, and, 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 mm. and when you look at all, all of these things, they all tie in. And, and unfortunately, the golf 
coaching industry has made an awful lot of people very internal. We're very, we're very focused on what our body's doing when the science, the research is saying that's probably not the best place to put our attention. Well, the great example is my, my father was, you know, uh, interested in golf, and I, I was around it as a young age, and I remember looking at the magazine cover, like, say, the 1971 or two Golf Digest, How to Cure Your Slice, and if you look at the cover of the most recent one, it's <laughs> How to Cure Your Slice. Well, guess what? We've put people into orbit and brought them home to Earth in the time that we still haven't been able to figure out how to cure your slice. So it's yeah. like you say, if you're focused on that and you think one day you're never going to hit another bad golf shot, that day is never going to come. I think what I've learned from you know a lot of different people that I've read, including Carl Morris and the Ultimate Players Program available now, is uh, it's how you deal with the inevitable shots in a round that you can either react to in a way that makes the next shot pleasing and interesting and you give it your attention or you just start ordering more beer <laughs> so <laughs> i mean we all have that choice and we all want to i think ultimately what carl and people like tim and you know Rotella, i basically making for the amateur golfer at least the, the experience a pleasing one a better one because in even the the most calm you know hail fellow on the golf course you know inside he's losing his mind and we and he wishes the experience was different yeah, I was only working with a guy just the other day, you know, a very, very successful businessman, and he, he's every day he's making decisions, multi-million pound decisions that are affecting a lot of people, and he said, I can, I can, I can deal with mistakes, and I can deal with bad days very, very easily in work. He said, but, you know, golf reveal, reveals a part of me that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. You know, he's, he said he just bring, brings that emotion to the table, but, you know, again, I think Tim, Tim alluded to this, and I, and I think it's a very important point to understand I think we are the only sport that I can think of where we, we practice in an environment that, that has virtually nothing to do with the real game. Right. You know, you, you, a, a, a snooker player practices on a snooker table. You practice table tennis on a table tennis table, squash on a squash court. We stand on a piece of we, we stand on a big field and blast balls into a, into a, into an open space, and then get on a, a very enclosed environment where it's always changing. And, and you know, I've always, always said I would never have had a role in this in this job in this world if, if golfers spent more time on the golf course and, and practice grounds. If you think about it, practice grounds are, are a relatively new phenomenon in the game. You know, if you go back to the the roots of golf, you know, in, in Scotland, nobody, nobody nobody practiced on a practice ground. They just they just played golf. They found a way of getting the ball around the golf course. Now that's that's not to say that practice doesn't have its place and ranges don't have the place. Of course they do, but it all depends on what you want. Do you want do you, do you want to develop develop a golf swing, or do you want to learn the art of golf? And the two are very very different. Yeah, it's. The thing that's really come home to me in a lot of the, the work that I've been doing and, and what I've learned from people like yourself and Fred Shoemaker is yep. that we all have this innate ability. We have this incredible body and mind from millions of years of evolution. And so we're trying to use this little brain, this conscious part in the front of our brain, to make it do certain things that we want it to do. And I just th think it's kind of stupid. It's like using a five-cent computer to run a billion-dollar brain. And when you talk about our ability to use, say, a tool like a golf club, I think of like the Bushman in Africa, or he's got a, he's got to kill something so his family's going to eat or perhaps starve, and he's exactly. just got that spear and he can just figure it out. Yeah. And I think that if we can make golf, not, it's kind of a dramatic example. No, what I was going to say, I going to say that the Bushman when he when he throws the spear, when if he misses, he doesn't go and break the spear and throw exactly. it in a pond, and he doesn't think, oh, I, my pronation was off. No, exactly. He's Losing oh, it. Oh, more importantly, he doesn't think I'm never throwing these spears no. again. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he doesn't go home and start looking in front of a mirror at his spear throwing technique. I got to get fitted for a new spear. <laughs> That's I think right. Points the new wrong on this. Exactly. Thing. I, this shaft is not serving me well. This M1 spear sucks. <laughs> um, no, Tim's right. You know, a target uh, connection. And uh, I just want to get back to one thing that Carl said. And we're going to let Carl's been very generous with his time. And we're going to get uh, uh, actually we're going to get a guy on after Carl who is a uh, not only a, a, a great player but a, a sort of a devotee of Carl's method, Danny King, one of the top instructors in Canada. One to mention before we the, the importance of what you said about practicing 
where you play. And, and one of the things in Carl's book, Attention, the Secret to Playing Grey Golf, are a series of games you can play, things you or ways to practice that put you in touch with how you play the game. And I highly recommend that as well because there's a, a bunch of different games, par 18 and, and better, a worse ball, and things that will give you the same feeling of pressure that we all feel no matter what level of golfer you are. Yeah, I, I, I just that would be one of the number one things for, for me for golfers. If the, if, if the goal this year is to score lower, is is to is to look at the golf course as a place to practice as opposed to the range. And I don't mean just being, I don't mean you know you know falling out with a greenkeeper by hitting lots of shots on one hole. I'm not talking about that. I mean a whole bunch of different things that you can do out, out on the golf course that you that are fun games as well. We we lose sight of, of that fact as well. Mike, you know Mike Hebron has a great great uh, great phrase about you know. We, we we play. We should play golf to learn golf, rather than the other way around. And you know, getting out on the golf course is such an important thing to do because your brain then becomes conditioned to that environment. I, you know, I I, I look back on my career in the early days, and you know, I was I was I, you know I won four British Opens on the range, but. <laughs> You know, but I understand now that what what my brain had done had become conditioned to a context, and it was the context called range and the context called mm. golf course was so far apart in my mind that I couldn't I couldn't bridge bridge that gap. You know, I, I use the analogy: if a guy wants to get good at public speaking, at some point he's got to stop talking to the chairs and actually get human beings in front of him. You know, and that's the same thing with the game of golf. It's getting your reps in. It's it's being in an environment where you're stressing yourself. Um, you're putting yourself in a place where there's consequence for what you mm. do. And on the golf ran- and on the practice ground, most people don't do that. And that's what I, I work with a lot of clients on. How can we bridge this gap between yeah. this practice area and making it more like the actual playing of the game? And that's why I, I love uh, games that uh, that you've uh, you espouse like uh, worst ball. And uh, and par eighteen. Those those games are just fabulous for helping you be through kind of the nerves of of competition on the practice ground. So when you go on the course, to use your phrase, Carl, you've built evidence that you can withstand it and you can deliver in the crunch. Wait a second, you got? I thought that was your phrase. I'm telling no, you, Carl, no, no, we I are we are ripping you off <laughs> blindly because I keep saying, yeah, my buddy Tim's got this great thing it's called you know evidence. So, so it's Carl Morris. Yeah, but Carl Morris probably got it from somebody too. Carl um, did. Carl, we're going to let you go here. I want to let everyone know that the Ultimate Players Program is uh, now available. You can get uh, everything Carl Morris at his website, themindfactor.net. Uh, you know, we're just starting off our, our podcast here called Swing Thoughts, so we don't have any merchandise yet. But once we do, how about we trade one of those cool Mind Factor uh, uh, huggies or whatever you're wearing in this picture uh, for some uh, Swing Thought, you know, golf shirts, okay? That sounds like a deal. It does, does it? Or are you just being patronizing? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Carl's like, I'm never talking to you guys again. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this, uh, Carl. We, I, honestly, if you wouldn't mind from time to time, and I mean like next week, can we have you back on just to Absolutely. talk? Because there's so much stuff we could get to. And it's just, you know, golf can be a lonely place, really, when you're coaching. And I think just, you know, I always enjoy sharing sharing information and just, you know, hearing other other people other people talk about it. And, you know, the more we share ideas, the more the, the, the game grows. And, uh, you know, the, the, the game needs that. Well, uh, I don't know what a, uh, an inappropriate amount to call you would be, but you'll let us know. Okay. Carl, always great to talk to you. Thanks for, right, for making pleasure. the time. There's, thank you very much. My regards on to Danny King when, when you speak to him. Yeah, he'll, be on, uh, he'll be on shortly. Okay, then. Thank you, Carl Morris. Pleasure. Bye. Right. Very nice. That's really funny. Because you have no idea how much I quote you. <laughs> like, I quote Tim all the time. I go, yeah, you know, my buddy Tim, he talks about, you know, building evidence. And Well, as I say, everything that we, uh, in coaching, it's all cobbled sure. from somewhere else. And like I've said before, there's only three chords in rock and roll, and it's all how we all do it differently. Wait a second. You stole that, too, by the way. You're <laughs> not the first I did. Person. Of course. You know, um, this book that uh, I'm so excited. I got so excited that Carl had read the same book that I'm, I'm reading now with this ABC News anchor. But... So through this reading of the book, I I sort of write down all these things that I think are very much appropriate when it comes to golf. And some of these in Dan's book, Dan Harris's book, are obviously just sort of Buddhist sayings or Buddhist thoughts. And one of the ones, and I thought you'd like this, is is being the idea of being wildly ambitious. So you do all you can do to succeed, 
but you're not attached to the outcome. So that if you fail, you'll be able to maximize and to be maximally resistant. I'm sorry, resilient. resilient. That's important. If you fail, if you're not attached to the outcome, then if you fail, as we inevitably do in golf, you'll be maximally resi- resilient. And I'm, I'm going to write maximally resilient on a scorecard. Because, and learn to say it, too. Well, exactly. It's a lot of stuff going on there. <laughs> but uh, to me, that was such a, a um, just an, a, a great way of looking at the game of golf. That, yes, you are going to fail. It's your attachment to the inevitable failure, the number of, round, number of times in a round of golf we don't hit shots that are perfect. But the idea that your non-attachment, which is a very Buddhist thing, mm-hmm. gives you the resilience to hit the next shot. And put your attention, as Carl would say, to something useful versus something that's not going to serve you, as the Buddhists would say. Absolutely. So the, the connection between attachment and lack of and intention. So if the intention is to say, what am I going to learn about myself today? Then it's not really failure. It's learning. And we just we go through something, and if it goes well or it doesn't go well, it doesn't mean we're diminished as a person. It doesn't mean that 100%. if I shoot 72, I'm a great person. 85, I'm a bad person. No, and you're, what what I learned that day and how I go forward. You're, you're right, and and but but specifically, it's not just what you've learned. It's it's that you can try really hard, and sometimes you're going to succeed and you're not. But it's how you deal with. Whatever technique, whether it's that, what am I going to learn that day, or you have a, a post-shot routine, or whatever can take you away from the attachment of, you know, damn, I just hit that shot in the water, or I just didn't, it just didn't do any number of billions of outcomes that aren't perfect. And, um, and that really is kind of what, whether it's Paul Doolin, who's a, a, a guy that I saw before you, and, or whether it's Rotello, or whether it's any number of mental performance coaches, it's all about detaching from outcomes. Um, and Tim's got some great techniques about overall stuff. You know, what, what, what are you trying to learn that day? Or do you want to be a good partner or gratitude, gratitude? Whatever. But you if know? you go in with that bigger piece of like, uh, if it's not just solely on score, you by going in with a bigger, a bigger intention, you are almost programming yourself before you get to the course to detach yourself. And so when things go wrong and they will go wrong, you won't have this emotional reaction. You will have already arrived at a place and you're going to, when you get to the course, it'll just permeate you the whole game that, you know, I'm okay with this. And of course I'm going to make a double bogey. You know, I'm okay with whatever's going to happen. And the thing is too, like one of the great things about Harris's book is he's a very type a, very competitive guy. He, he sort of reminds me of, you know, me in a way, and a lot of golfers that I know, you know, they want to they want to buy into what we're talking about in our show, but they also, you know, don't want to lose their edge. Um, the thing is, you can be you can be a person that strives, but part of that striving for success is learning how to deal with the minutia and the minute by minute of failure that is inevitably going to be part of every round you play. Uh, what do you think? Should we put on some music while we dial Danny King or just dial it on? How about this? Dial away while, I, wh- dial while away. I make a really cool observation. Okay. Uh, don't don't uh, make um, it too cool because I want to make sure. I'll just go back and listen to it later. Okay. Why don't you plug how people can get a hold of you, by the way? Uh, pe- well, people can get a hold of me through um, O'ConnorGolf.ca. That's okay. my URL. But one of the interesting things that I thought that Carl talked about was that it's <laughs> – not think the mental game is not thinking about being in the present moment that was really interesting that so to be in the present moment people think about it so they're in their heads <laughs> rather than being in the present moment i mean that's that's pretty cool i loved every part of that say it again because i missed it <laughs> <laughs> you know why because i was trying to figure out how to dial danny said, king hey, daddy there's king daddy please king. Hello, is this Mr. Humble Howard? Yes, it is. <laughs> Listen to Danny. Hello. Love. How many? Good morning. We've, I, but here, before we get into how I know Danny, Danny's a top 50 golf instructor. By the way, welcome to Swing Thoughts, everyone. Uh, we had Carl Morris on, and, and we're going to talk to Danny, one of uh, Canada's top professionals. Not only an amazing teacher, and a, 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 one of the best players uh, in, in the country. Just coming off a great season, the... Um, and you're currently the director of instruction at Magna Golf Club in Aurora. Uh, and uh, Danny King, it's great to uh, talk to you. Oh, <laughs> I, want to pretend, great. I want to pretend like we've never met now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've known each other for 
23 years. Yeah, it's been neat. I think I was 13 years old when I met you. Ah, oh, please. How? What, what year did you, uh, were you an assistant at the National when I was there? I was, yeah, I was. I kind of grew up through the, the Ben Kern era, and Ben kind of was my mentor, and George is a, is a, George is a student of theirs for years, yeah. Danny was one of those guys that was an assistant, but uh, and a lot of guys go this route. They're assistants. They become professionals, uh, head pros, and, and, you know, they're really not known for their golf game because they went in a different route. But Danny was one of those guys that uh, could always play. But in my mind, you actually got better uh, as a player as the years went by, it seemed to me. And I, I don't know how much of that, and this is where we'll start, is how much of that was skill acquisition and how much of that was becoming better mentally prepared to, to play. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, you, you're obviously your goals change and your focus changes also, but uh, um, for to my mechanics also we improved as the years went on, but also the what was a huge introduction was uh, was uh, Carl Morris and his, his audio programs and how much that, that changed uh, the way I played the game. Um, so I think it was a combination of the three things. Mm-hmm. So your game, so uh, Danny, you've always been a, had an excellent golf swing and it's been going on, but what do you, what was the key thing that, that knocked your game forward? Because how old are you, man? You're like 47, 48, right? Yeah, 48 now, yeah. And you are playing some lights out golf. Let's just, let's go through what, what you did this year. So in uh, 2015, you won the PGA Club Professional Championship of Canada. You also won the PGA Championship of Canada. You got your name on the trophy with people like um, Mo Norman and George Knutson. And you won the Canadian PGA Team Championship with Billy Walsh. I mean, like, what a year. So, you know, when, when you're competing against guys who are like 20 years your junior. So what are you doing or what have you come across mentally that's really helped you to be able to compete at um, – at the mature age you're at yeah well you know it's just it's uh kind of refocused on, on where i want to be in in uh, three years as a as a professional uh you know running the academy at magnet's been, been been a lot of fun and and growing the, growing the game there but just uh my goals of of playing as a as a professional has always been uh, high in the ranks for me and so it's uh i've changed just the way my perceive of what i want to be and where i want to be in three years and um, you know, worked on worked on my golf swing a lot. Uh, mostly just approximately all from 100 yards. It was my focus, and uh, been changing just my mental outlook on on how I play the game and, and uh, every every shot. Isn't it interesting? And, uh, you you talk about yeah. playing from 100 yards in. I mean, here's Danny King. He's got one of the greatest golf swings I've ever seen. He, you know, I, I often think about watching you hit. You know, two irons. You know, 260 <laughs> on the range. But yet, what you're focused in focus is in and on is a hundred yards in i'm just looking at uh carl morris's book there's a i think he calls it there's a the, the zone or um the zone of contention the zone of contention as opposed to the <laughs> zone the, as opposed to the cone of silence the zone of contention and really for a lot of 18 15 whatever handicap players they don't spend enough time in that zone where you know the difference between you know, a double bogey, triple bogey for them, and a bogey adds up to them shooting, you know, 90 versus 85. And for a guy like you, it seems like that's a great thing we can talk about, how much time you spend in that zone. Yeah, 100%. That's, uh, you know, part of part of the, 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 if you can get your proximity to the hole within your 10%, uh, and then obviously get your up and down percentage, you know, up near 70 or 80%, you're, you're going to play some really good golf. So combine that too with just a uh, little different routines um, that I've been I've been implemented in my game. It's uh, it's made a world of difference. What routines are you talking about? Or are they secret? Breathe, breathing are they secret routine? Danny King routines? Yeah, the Danny <laughs> King routines. That's right. I think a lot of time it's just I was actually talking to Sean Foley about this, and it's 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 not about um, you know changing your mechanics and all. It's more internalizing and, and finding out what works best for you and. Um, feeling comfortable in every shot, like breathing. The, the you know the, the we can talk with Carl. You know the the term entrainment, with the focused on <clears throat> the combination of your eyes, your respiratory system, and your heart, and they all have to be interconnected. And when you're in that, when you're when you're feeling connected, you're in the zone and you're comfortable, and you're just reacting as opposed to thinking. And that's uh, that's really really come to the forefront of my game. 
So you, so when you're in contention in events like, you know, you're talking major for, for a Canadian club professional, these are the majors that you were in last year, as I say, the PGA Championship of Canada and the Club Professional Championship. So, Danny, are you, are you using your body going down the stretch that, you know, when you might have thought, oh, hey, I could win this, you know, this could be amazing. Do you use your body as almost like a sanctuary to, to center yourself and stop those thoughts? One hundred percent. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't do time like that whole thing of time traveling and worrying about the future. You can't control the future. You can control yourself. So, I mean, that's the main focus. You just keep on <clears throat> focusing on you and, and that routine. And whatever happens, happens. You can't control Mr. Whitey. So he can go anywhere, but you can Mr. control yourself. Mr. Whitey, so. that, that would be the ball, right? <laughs> it's a, you know, it's funny, Danny. The only other person I've ever heard call it that is Marty Chuck. <laughs> Martin, he's another guy that we, we've known for a long time. But that's what Chuck always calls it, Mr. Whitey. <laughs> Mr. Whitey, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the key the key ingredient there. And then just uh, you know, all, all the if you prepare properly, it, it will it'll come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things that Carl was saying, he related a story about Graham McDell coming down the stretch in uh, I think it was the Scottish Open, and he was worried that he was going to top the ball. Um, <laughs> And this year, uh, I read a transcript of Jason Day from after he won the PGA Championship. So there he is. He's about to win his first major. And he comes right. to the 72nd hole at uh, Whistling Straits there. And what's the first thought he gets on the tee? Don't double bogey here. <laughs> Just like any right. other hack. Yep. This is Jason right. Day. Um, so what kind of? how does your process help you deal with those types of uh, voices that come in your head, and they're inevitable. Well, yeah, it's it's it, like like you said, at all levels, it, it happens. But uh, I think you know, breathing is is the key thing, and that's I'll touch on a little bit. I've been working a lot with with Bob Panasek and uh, Panny, and yeah, with Panny, I just love him. So we talk every day. I'm into a little bit more meditating, do some meditation with them, and it's uh, you know, it really zeroes you out, <clears throat> and. Uh, I tell you what, if you can control your breathing, because it's, uh, that's the secret right there. If you control your breathing, you can control your golf swing and your, and your mind, right? So, yeah. so, Danny, when you're talking, so you're the director of instruction at Magna Golf Club. So you got movers and shakers who are members at that club. So yeah. when you talk to these guys on the range, you say, you know, Bill, you should do some meditation. You should be more mindful. How do these guys react to you? Do they react to you like you're like wearing a headband and you got a paisley well, you know, shirt on? Or I think what I'll do, I think you share experiences with them in regards to how because they always go out there, you know, they're nervous. They always come to me for a quick tune up before their club championship and they're sitting on the first tee and they're they can't put the ball in the tee because they're shaking so much, right? So they're right. so worried about what the future holds. So I mean, you, you got to kind of relate that to a little bit of their business dealings, how they deal with business and go into a meeting. And and kind of get the parallel feeling in there, and they kind of get the the picture on how that they don't hold their breath when they do a presentation, or they don't, you know, yeah. jump around before they they're calm and they're, they just go ahead and they they're they're, they're aware. So it's funny, Tim uh, asked you. Get the, Tim asked yeah. you a question that I wanted to, to bring up too, because you're a guy that is instructing people. I mean, how you make your living is instructing other men and women about how to make a, a, a pass at a, at a golf ball. And yet at some point, especially because of what you've been learning, at some point you have to look at a person and go, okay, well, we've gone as far as we can with the mm-hmm. amount of time you have to practice this game. Maybe it's time we turned our attention to, you know, maybe some strategies, whether it's meditation or even just a, a reorientation of how you think about the way you play golf. That'll help most people lower some, some scores, don't you think? Oh, 100%. Oh, at all, at all levels, at all levels, it'll it'll it'll. So, how do you introduce that? I mean, Tim yeah. sort of touched on it. You know, how do you you know you're, you're you go from hey, uh, you know, you know, your left hand is a little bit too weak on the club to you know what you should do? You should probably sit for five minutes a day and just think of some stuff. Yeah, well, well, you know that, that the the clientele that we're dealing with, they don't have a lot of time to play or practice at times. So sometimes we. And we're working on the same things week after week, but if they have a little time just even to, to sit down in a in a couch and just close their eyes and just kind of visualize what they're trying to swing like or what it looks like to have a perfect swing or feel like they have good balance or just a simple thing like that or use a journal. Like we'll be really big with Carl with the journals and, and with uh, neurologistic programming and just, just simple things like that. It'll really elevate their game. 
There seems to be a uh, giant pause in the proceedings. Tim uh, was going to say something. I was going to say something. And now there's just a, a real... Let's just all acknowledge the fact that no one's saying anything. I was thinking. No one's saying anything. I was um, thinking. I'll tell you right. I, I was thinking. But, but um, I reoriented myself into my body and uh Well, I'll, I'll, pick this. I'll pick this up because that's my, my area. Danny, <laughs> what year yeah. did you leave the National? I left the National with Ben. So that would have been, I want to say, 99. Okay. Around that, yeah. Um, so in 1994, 5, and 6, uh, we would have seen each other. I probably you know, spent a lot of time in the range, mm -hmm. as you know, and uh, got yeah. pretty angry. I, I think I had a reputation, if it would be fair to say, I had a reputation as being a pretty good player, but uh, you know, mentally... A deficient human being. <laughs> wait a second. Wait a second. Are we saying, Howard? Are you saying that you were a jerk to play with? Um, no, you, no, I wasn't a jerk to play with. I just was a jerk to myself to play with. Okay. I, I didn't. I, I, I was. I don't think my reputation was that it wasn't. I, you couldn't play with me, but I definitely had a reputation as, you know, just a few swings away from the round being over. Would that be fair? Right. So 90, 94, 95, and 96, uh, I had the following results in the club championship. Uh, 94, played nine holes, went to the parking lot. <laughs> That's a true story. Got so mad after nine holes, I went to the parking lot. 95, played 18 holes, went to the parking lot. Never came back for round two. 96, my only goal was, and I'd started reading a lot of books at that time about the mental side of the game, whether it was Shoemaker or, you know, golf is not a game perfect. And 96, I got to play both rounds. And that's all I, my goal at the beginning. And by the way, in 96, my handicap was probably one or two or zero at the Nationals. So I was a pretty mm -hmm. good player. And my goal as an almost scratch golfer was just to show up both days. And in 97, <laughs> the end of the story is after having spent a, a less time on my golf swing and more time on the mental side. In 97, I went from never having qualified for the Ontario Amateur to winning the amateur qualifier I was in, placing the top 40 in the amateur, winning the club championship, playing in the mm -hmm. Canadian Amateur. And all of that mm -hmm. had nothing to do with spending more time on the range. Yeah. Brilliant. That was excellent. I remember that clear as day. And the first note I got was from Ben Kern, who had seen me frustrated and pissed off and it really not getting anywhere and then the note i got from ben i still have it somewhere was basically saying you know what I, I was congratulations but watching you go through that was pretty impressive for a guy who had a job <laughs> um, this isn't by i'm not being braggadocious i'm just saying i went literally from 94 i played nine holes and went to my car it's like where's yeah. howard howard's in his car so that yeah, gives yeah. you an idea of how Using a mental approach can change, you know, how you, mm. what your results are. Oh, and, totally. Danny, you were a huge fan, are a huge fan of Carl Morris. And uh, like, like all avid golfers, you're a professional. Uh, you've read widely. You've heard Rotella, all of them. The thing that always really struck me that made Carl's work so effective was that he gave you practical tools to do things. And yeah. some of the things that we talked about when we had him on the program was uh, playing games like Worst Ball and, and mm -hmm. Par 18. Can, can you mm -hmm. talk about how those types of things, if you've incorporated them into your, into your routine, how do, they, how do they help you? Oh, they're, they're dynamite. So, I mean, I, I use them daily uh, and, and uh, with all my programs when I when I coach uh, 20 handicappers or my elite junior program. So, I mean, it's, uh, it, you know, par 18 emulates the, the the feelings you're gonna receive when you're on the golf course, a little pressure. Um, you're able to track it through using your journal um, so you can watch your progress and then you can, you know, feed off of that. And then obviously worst ball, I mean, you could, it's one of the best games ever. So you just go out there and, and it, you know, obviously, how's it work, Danny? Uh, really worst ball work? Your, well, you hit you hit two balls, and then you always you go to the worst ball until the balls hold out. So you, you could hit a a perfect drive, and then the second one you've got to obviously hit it as good or 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 as straight. So you, you're not so you're not left in the bush and so forth. You always play from the worst ball, and until the ball holds. So it's uh, and again, it, it gives you that feeling of you know a little pressure. Keep focused still on that second ball, and. Uh, and it's, uh, I know Tiger Woods plays that a lot. Mm -hmm. I know he, uh, preparing to come back there, he was, he was playing that game also. So, 
simple games like that are are uh, instrumental in, in in all levels of of development for, for from the professional to obviously my elite kids. Yeah, quickly, one of the really cool games that I learned from Carl as well is called Deliberate Miss. So you're hitting to the yeah. green. You you aim at a part of the green where it'd be a good place to try and get up and down. So you you deliberately miss the green, and then you try and get up and down. If you can do that and shoot, you know pretty good score for like nine holes or something you're getting yourself ready to play some really good golf well you know it's funny because i remember i remember playing worst ball at the national and you know going out by myself for nine holes and worst ball at the national and again i was a decent player you might not break 50 like if you yeah. if people honestly if you That's think a well, tough golf course it, well and all you know what if the first few times you try this uh swing thought friends um <laughs> you will uh, be amazed at how high a score you can shoot it's tough making par uh, mm, but really what it good. does teach you is, well, as, as Carl was saying, and, and, and what I think Danny's saying is, you put yourself, you practice on, you practice on the in, on the grounds you're actually playing the game versus off a perfect lie uh, on a range. You know, one of the things that improved me as a player, besides getting a bit more in touch with the mental side, and is you know how much time did I spend hitting bunker shots? And I, I used to people used to mock me all the time, but I thought you know I I instinctively knew that if I was going to ever make it to the weekend of the club championship and not to my car, I'd better be able to get up and down a couple times because you know you're going to miss a lot of greens, especially at that golf course. Mm-hmm. So true. Um, so, anyways, DK, it's funny um, you're uh, you're still now. You said I, I kind of got a, a hint there because you're a couple years away from being eligible for the senior tour. It sounds like that's mm-hmm. one of your goals. It is one hundred percent. It is. Yeah, I want to. Uh, that's something I'm striving. I've got this kind of I call it road to fifty. It's a three year plan that I've I've uh, put awesome. into place with you know um, obviously biomechanically. Uh, mentally, physically, and then obviously emotionally, spiritually, financially, whatever. So I'm prepared to go. It's uh, it's really I'm really really looking forward to it. And I've got some really good support system, and I'm I'm really happy about you know I just received that uh, Player of the Year award last uh, the other night in, in Orlando, and and it's uh, it was kind of that's the start uh, start of a new beginning for me. So. Yeah, the Mike Weir Player of the Year by the PGA yeah. of Canada at the PGA Merchandise Show. That's who's on the, the show with us. Yeah, that's fabulous, Danny. Congratulations. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, really honored to have that uh, <laughs> with Mike. And, and I know he's struggling a little bit, but he's, he was an ambassador for golf. And I'll just uh, hold that close to my heart. So how old are you? You're 47, huh? I'm 48. 48. So, you know, it's funny because when we were hanging out at the National, I was only like in my early 30s, but you seemed a lot younger mm-hmm. to me. But, buddy, mm-hmm. you're catching up. I'm uh, catching up. I know. And speaking yeah. of younger, well, next time you see Billy Walsh, tell him I said hi. But you were on the uh, PGA Team Championship with Walsh, who's an also awesome player. But if anyone knows oh. if anyone knows him, are people still asking, me, asking you if he's your little brother? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> he, he honestly. I wanted to put my arm around. And I was hugging his ear. I that's right, right, me. No, no, no. It's like, come on, Billy. Let's have a drink. Get up on my knee. Um, oh, you pound. Uh, he's but, a great player. Hey, but is there a pound for pound anybody longer off no, the tee no, than uh, Billy no, Walsh? He, oh, he hits it forever. He, he does it forever. It. Oh, my God. If he weighed over 100 pounds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, um, all the best to you. We'll have you back uh, another time, hopefully. And maybe we'll get a chance to uh, see you this year. Oh, I'd love that, Howard. Yeah, let's have a little game out there. We'll play a we'll game of worst ball. Absolutely, dude. Take care. That's, uh, <laughs> all right, cheers. That's Danny King. Danny King. He's uh, He was uh, – he talk about long, too. Like, he is ridiculous. Uh, in terms of how much club head speed he has. But you know what? Just goes to show you. But really interesting comment you made. I mean, Danny King can, what a swing. I mean, it's just so beautiful and powerful. He can control the ball at will. But where has he been playing most of it, paying most of his attention? Short game, mental game. I I loved him talking about the three-year plan that he's got. And, you know, he's, he's doing things in a daily basis to to make that dream a reality in three years. So, you know, it's not like he's got this big lofty goal and it's just kind of he's working towards it. He's doing things on a daily basis. And uh, really, uh, you couldn't find a much better uh, model to follow than Danny 100%. King. 100%. And, and, and couldn't find a better guy. DannyKingGolf.com is how you get a hold of him. TheMindFactor.net for Carl Morris, uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca for Tim O'Connor, Humble and Fred Radio uh, for the uh, show I do. Does your dog have a URL? It was Stan, Stan the uh, office dog. 
Anyway, he's just hanging out. Uh, we will uh, yeah, now. Here's I mentioned this. Uh, we're finally on iTunes, the uh, the podcast that you're listening to. Obviously, some of you got it from iTunes. So two things would be great. Obviously, share this if you've got some golf friends. Write a review. Write a review. That would really help us. It helps elevate the uh, the rankings and also makes. And by the way, it's not just ego. Partly it is, but if more people if more people see this on iTunes and more people will be exposed to some of the great. And goofy uh, stuff that we talk about. <laughs> it's a balance of great it and goofy. Is, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> when is the uh, golf show? You can actually see Swing Thoughts in person. Absolutely. When is that? That's uh, February 19th, the weekend of that. I'm not sure if that's the Friday. We're going to be doing the presentation on the Friday and the Saturday? Yep. Okay. Yeah, with, uh, with Sean Casey. Sean. And we are going to explore that topic that really has become a theme for us around how you can save four or five shots without <laughs> even changing your golf swing. That's right. And that's our idea, not Carl. <laughs> well, he so, probably got it from somebody else. Of course he did. Anyway, listen, thanks very much for listening to it again. Carl Morris, Danny King, and the uh, art, the articulate, the compassionate, the, the man, mountain of man that is Tim O'Connor. And the model of inspiration. Oh, yes. Still on his booze cleanse. And right. let you know that I have joined the booze cleanse. I've five, oh, really? Five days, no alcohol. <laughs> Wait a second, and, he's turning into a meeting? <laughs> and the clarity I have is just overwhelming. I just, you know, I may not need glasses anymore. I'm day 28 without any uh, alcohol. For uh, I'm trying to lower my inflammation. Well, you know what? You uh, play better golf people. that way, too. I, you know what? Absolutely. I, I can't wait. The, the uh, club championship at Blue Springs, he didn't drink out any beer for a month before his club championship. Oh, yeah? I wrote an article on that, and all the guys at my, at my club are doing it. That's way over the top. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what is he? You have to have life-work balance. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. Get on the place and-